Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And tonight we're here to talk about the fourth episode of TNT's Snowpiercer's second season. This one is called A Single Trade. I thought that was a hilarious name in retrospect because this whole episode seemed to be strung together with trades of one sort or another. Or more like the idea that a single trade in this world is never a single trade. It seems more like a doorway to many subsequent trades. Ooh, multi-layered here, Paul. You think so? Yeah. (laughs) The biggest trade of all is the one we've been waiting to find out about. Miss Audrey and and what she did to get on the train. She made a trade to get on the train, which was she was supposed to be his girl, apparently, for the rest of her life. Oof. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were kind of suspecting that they had some backstory there. Is that what you expected? Uh, I did not expect this. I was expecting something very dark and like mind-blowing kind of shocking and they totally delivered on that but i did not speculate i should have right poor kevin rest (laughs) in peace kevin but oh my god oh it was chilly yeah i didn't think there was going to be another kevin scene and i did not think it would be with miss audrey and i guess i really don't know what i was expecting with miss audrey and wilford and melanie because you know we knew that there was some history there and i thought it involves all of them together in a way but this makes more sense and it was so much darker than I thought it was and very tragic. And it made me see Miss Audrey um, differently, not in a bad way, but like I understand a lot of, you know, why she was, you know, basically made a whole new experience when he was out of the picture. And it also just raises the questions like, what did she do to get on, you know, Wilford's bad side before boarding Snowpiercer? And then like, how did they take the train from him? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that her, she may still have a role to be proven out in that, you know, that plot that made that happen. Because she would have been potentially closest to him, you know, physically and (laughs) other ways. I didn't have a name to put on what I thought of their previous relationship. But I had this sneaking suspicion that that it did involve that he had her pigeonholed in one capacity. And she has proven to be a multifaceted person. With, you know, the singing and the dancing and this apparent like hypnotic skill (laughs) and running a staff and the night car and all that other stuff. But in his book, I think he's happy to keep her as this dominatrix slash whore type person, which dramatically undersells who she is but i just didn't really have like a name for it and like how she mentioned that she was an escort and it kind of built up until she was just his girl more or less i don't know that that disappoints me or not it's more like i'm glad to have that relationship sorted out yeah and it came much sooner than i thought it would getting that those answers um yeah i felt the same way and i was seeing that her description play out i was thinking are we getting it now? Is it? Is it now? <laughs> I think it was pretty good timing for it. I think we had a couple of episodes where we had to pause and question her. So giving us a couple episodes before the answer is, is the kind thing to do. And I think that I know we were all really skeptical, like what, like how bad does this have to be for her to be kind of as dramatic as she is being about this very dramatic kind of reaction to this change of dynamic? And I think that it was really justified and I'm really glad that they showed a story, you know, and I think that even though Wilford might to him, maybe like her serving as what you've described as a dominatrix slash whore kind of role as like a diminishing kind of thing. I feel like it's like empowering because she's already like, she owned it. She agreed to it. It was based on her decision. And then she, <laughs> it 
very, very insane scene to be Zara <laughs> opening that door and how she's just got Wilford, this like big fearful kind of guy, just literally under his like <laughs> spell <laughs> or her spell. Like it, I thought that was badass that she was able to pull that off. So I would, I think that uh, she's probably, th- to, this is a shift in her power dynamic. I guess she's good. She's going to muster up the strength that's going to be toward what she wants to the direction that she wants to like on her terms and her story not being like at, at what he says is going to be done is that the part that she is scared of even though she in that setting in that one single setting i don't know that she gets to have him on his knees and feed him noodles or whatever in front of everybody it's just in behind closed doors she gets to exercise that amount of power and do you suppose that's the part that she's scared of is is going back into that world that Fifty Shades of Grey sort of world where she kind of belongs to him and and has that mentality and possibly she doesn't really even like that part about herself or that role for herself. Do you think that's close to what she might be fearing or is it really tied into that scene in the bathtub and seeing something like that coming again? I was feeling a little icky throughout, like when the proposal. Happened. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, like in mo- on multiple levels, but like the icky part in the sense of, I mean, given everything that's happened, like in society with like the Me Too and all that sort of stuff, and victims and trauma and you know that sort of thing, I was feeling like I can't believe Andre's asking her to do that, and then like in that sense of like seeing it, like I feel like if this happened maybe five years ago, maybe I wouldn't have thought about it that way. But this one, I was like, are we really going there? you know, are you really going to make her go undercover and get close to Wilford and re-traumatize her and and do all that? But so I was really happy or not happy, but like I was, it was good to see that she did it out of her own free will. You know, like I mean, she seems to have been not forced in a way, but she did it on her terms, like Inez said. And that made me feel a little better, but it was just feeling a little weird um, as a viewer in that sense, just because of everything outside of it. I don't know if you guys felt that way. Oh, I definitely did. Um, it, it, It reminded me a lot of that scene in Mad Men, I forget which season it is, but there's the local Jaguar dealership guy and they have uh, Joan and um, he is very interested in Joan and all the partners think it's okay to send Joan out to basically have sex with this guy and get him to come on board, you know, with the firm except for for Don, who tells her, don't do it. This whole thing reminded me of of that, except what made this a little different was that this is more of a life and death thing where Mad Men is obviously... you know that was for date yeah that was just for money and just money but but there's still a certain level of shittiness with feeling like you have any kind of um choice yeah well role in in telling another person what's best for them to do i you know with their body parts and time and who they spend time with and all that (laughs) stuff that is definitely in the well inside the icky realm Yeah, I think that's why it's good that they showed the backstory and why you were asking the question, like, what do you think, you know, how is she feeling? Does she have it under control? That sort of thing. It's like, well, she hasn't seen him in seven years. They have this horrific kind of (laughs) history, you know, and it seemed like she is boarding on the edge right now. But I want to think that Miss Audrey is going to, you know be you know like be in the power and maybe have um, Wilfred on the knees again but I also think it's kind of a slippery slope and I also feel like maybe she's going to try to get her revenge at some point and that I don't know might be detrimental you know especially since Wilfred we know is kind of a you know he he knows how to play people too so who knows if he's playing her or if she thinks she actually has him under control but she doesn't and then it's gonna go bad so i don't know i just felt like the very end when andre's like hey are you okay it's like hey like like it just seemed like a stupid question (laughs) (laughs) right andre i do not like you right now (laughs) (laughs) what what did you think of all that inez does the idea of one having control over the other Who's right? Who's wrong? I mean, does that is that is that where we're at with these two guys right now, with uh, Wilford and, and Audrey, or how, how are you looking at it? 
I think that Audrey has got some kind of strategy. I honestly was surprised that there wasn't an attempted murder. Like I, I had it. <laughs> when, you know, the, when she said, "This one's for me." Uh, I thought, is she going to like suicide herself because she's that desperate to be away from him, or is she going to try to kill him at this opportunity because she's got that like secret room in the back, or not secret, right? But she's got this very private back and setup. And so I was honestly very surprised that things went this way. As far as, you know, this thing about control, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to rewatch the episode to get a feel and, and to maybe hear better. Um, you know, once I'll, I'll watch it when, when I can read the closed captions, because I think I lost some of the audio during the, the screener. So just FYI, like listeners out there <laughs> with this, <laughs> because I saw it come up in some commentary on social media. Um, when we view the screeners view, we actually don't have any access to closed captions. So sometimes we miss things um in the audio so yeah, the button's there it just doesn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> yes um so we find out uh what's really said when it comes out <laughs> but uh what i was getting to uh i'm gonna have to go back and re-watch um the episode because i need to see if i can figure out again like you know how they're this SNM dynamic started. Like I, I, I don't know. Did you guys kind of catch? I'm not. I'm not going to ask Paul. I, I <laughs> Kat, did you did you happen to catch the familiarity with this SNM role? Like, uh, like I feel I get a feeling that this SNM dynamic between the both of them might have been Wilford dominant with her as a sub, but uh, and maybe she's kind of figured out because of the trauma everybody's gone through and how she's helping the process through this i kind of interpreted that she reversed maybe their previous kind of dynamic to where she is now dominant and he's sub and when you um I, i'm not an expert so any listeners <laughs> out there who like know more appropriately kind of like the dynamics and rules would love to hear from you to kind of give more insight as right. to she's, she's that thought friend. process. Yeah, yeah, for a friend, for a friend, just to totally understand this art, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, just to kind of understand like the psychological dynamics expected in that. You know, I'm trying to be more open minded in, in this area. I don't have personal experience, but I'm not judgy about it. And so, somebody who might understand the emotional depths of that, like, I would love to hear like kind of like that science behind it, but I interpreted this as he previously had to have been a Dom if he's able to ha have her like cut herself. And then he's like, Oh, I'm the savior. Cause I kept you alive. Remember, you know, I saved your life, but I think that might've been their history. And so the big change for her in the right direction is that she's now setting themselves up from now to the future where she's more dominant and People that are in that kind of dynamic tend to like really follow through. You guys have seen like, you know, those like Florida, like man from Florida being walked by a leash, you know, by his, you know, <laughs> 80 year old girlfriend or something, you know, <laughs> just like, like people take, not that that's what it is. Please don't come at me for it. But like they take the role seriously and they kind of go outside of normal boundaries. And I'm interested to see what kind of influence this is going to have on Wilford and empowering of Audrey. And also add to the mix, because I'm not going to speak on the SM because I'm not an expert either. <laughs> um, but I'll just leave it to the listeners who maybe know more. But also the heightened situation is that also haven't seen, haven't, haven't, um, you know, they haven't been together for seven years in any capacity. Who knows how it really ended before they got on the train. And then add to the fact that like Wilford is probably also starved and you know malnutritioned as well as like all the other people and and add the desperation that he really wants to get the train back so there's a lot going on in that sense and so yeah I, i'm also curious to see how it plays out and how much of a mind game he's going to play or if he is really like you said like submitting um because she's like taking on this role because she's had seven years to form a new identity and like kind of you know 
take back herself. So um, maybe he was also kind of excited about it because, you know, maybe he hasn't got action in seven years. So <laughs> that was like, he was willing to submit in that way. But maybe when he kind of like comes to in a way, oh, sorry, pun intended, um, then, you know, he'll, he'll kind of be like, oh, I know what you're doing in the mind games and stuff. So I think it's, like I said, it's a slippery slope on both ends, um, I feel like. So that's shaping up what's probably at least a season long type arc where there's this who's running who basically between those two. And there's a lot at stake. If he gets over on her, then he basically wins the train. If she gets over on him, then they have some chance of they being the Snowpiercer faithful have some chance of, of keeping their their democracy and beating him basically but all that stuff that you guys just described is is much more complicated than <laughs> than your average situation and it has i mean it has a lot of, of very interesting stuff to put on tv that that is unusual for what would you call it basic cable uh <laughs> seems like you can have a very intimate experience visually doing it this way that you couldn't have ordinarily, if that makes sense. I mean, if she is just feeding him stuff in my mind, I thought I was watching like basic cables version of like oral sex or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on at first. I was like, wait, what are they, have they, are they doing it? Like, I don't know. And then like, I was like, this is like very odd. And then like, basically what Zara's face was, was my face. Like, like <laughs> she was I've like, seen too oh, much. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think she would have maybe preferred to just see them doing it than like doing whatever they were doing. <laughs> and I feel like I, I might've been more comfortable with that too. Cause I was just, it was actually, it was, it's, it's funny when that is more outrageous than like, you know, like seeing sex on TV, you know, like I was just like, right, right. To shock us with like Sean Bean eating from, you know, <laughs> it's weird. Exactly. It which I think is kudos to them, right? Because they were able to shock us because we thought it was going to go the other way that is probably the usual way, like you're saying, Paul. The big question marks I have left in my brain about that are the, are the bathtub scene, were we seeing a true memory where we seeing some kind of jumble of things i mean she has the scars so all that probably did happen some version of the way we saw it but like cat mentioned offline why well, like why why would he need her to do that is it just like she was proving to him that she was loyal and he had won that mind game very early on in their relationship to the point where she would do that or was it punishment like poor Kevin? Do you guys have any any inclination to, to see it one way or the other or some some third way I haven't thought of? The Wilford trust test? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, a version of catching catching when you fall. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think now that I've heard um, Ines's take on like that whole S&M thing, I think there's something to it um, with that possibly like that mm. And um, I think the loyalty might be it because why would, I mean, he didn't save Kevin. So like, why would he save Audrey? And the way he seems like he, you know, and he got really upset when Alex mentioned her as a paramour. It's like, she's not that. So is he in love with her? Like, you know, is this something more or is it just, it, it also seemed weird in a way because it, it just seemed like he was head over heels for her in a way. But I'm like, the, I know this isn't healthy. So I was like kind of torn, you know, it was like, it, like there was a lot going on with that relationship and I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to play out. So when you say he hasn't gotten action in seven years, and I, I connect what he did in the bathtub with uh, Miss Audrey to a sexual release for him, because he may not need things the same way that other people need things and still be able to achieve whatever it is <laughs> yeah. he needs to achieve. So that makes me wonder about that Kevin scene. Right. Kevin was, remember, like... He was like, hop into the tub, no problem, right? He, yeah. he didn't get weirded out until Mr. Wilfer was getting in. So that was new for him, but not, not undressing for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is very normal. This is just a day at work. <laughs> but I did think 
that this will be, uh, a, you know, if there are any listeners who are kind of familiar with more of these kinds of um, this industry, if you will, that could give some insight, that would be very interesting. Because I think also it'll help people be more open minded about how like safe practices of like SNM versus the dangerous lines that people like to use SNM um, as an excuse for their abuse. And I feel like that's a line that's being talked about in recent days. And it could be also why they included it in modern day script in this way. So it would be cool to get some education for other listeners who may not be as familiar. Yeah. And that's probably exactly where her head is at um, that I hadn't really thought of is just that line is, has always been much too blurry between the two of them. Like when she's uh, dancing it out at the, at the end of the episode, it's like, she's got, she is the, is the train's psychologist and more or less but she doesn't have anybody to go talk to about her problem basically you know so she's got she all she's got is just the dancing the physical outlet of all the trying to convert that tension into into movement yeah that makes sense oh I'm I'm excited for the Audrey and uh, Wilfred showdown mental games and hopefully though it's I don't know. It's still icky, though, but overall, but for the show, you know, oh, it makes for interesting viewing. So that's that's one of my trades is that that Miss Audrey will do this, but she has her own reasons. And I think she has her own idea of an outcome <laughs> that may it may line up with the needs of the train, but it may not be the way they want her to do it. Yeah, I think it's might not be the best way. another another trade that we've got in this episode was the frostbite treatment and everything surrounding that initially i mean that's just like an offer of we have frostbite treatment And, and andre susses it out immediately that this is something else so on the surface the trade is just for a a night in the night car which then of course leads to other trades you know the miss audrey making her trades but i think at the end of the day this is actually like mr wilford gaining a hostage in the form of of josie is there another way to look at it or did you guys see it another way i felt it was totally sus uh you know with the scientists you know kind of keeping their ingredients hush hush and i don't i didn't take it completely as that they were trying to uh make it sound like that they realized that they were sounding too smart for their audience i kind of took it as a like there's something about our treatment plan that is not for public ears i guess so uh i do i i wrote i i my suspicions is like Maybe they'll try to convert Josie into, you know, Icy Bob, too. Oh, no. Icy Josie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Again. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Round two. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. And I, I love you, Josie. Yeah. And he says it right away. Like, he says what I guess we would be thinking is um, it seems too good to be true that, you know, they're just offering frostbite. And then Josie's like, you know, what? how do they know and so that also led me to question because not many people know about Josie so is it like a Taylor that's you know in spying or is it just like who is the one that's really doing the bidding of, of Wilford in that area because how would he have known you know about Josie and how would he have known the connection that you know they have with Andre or she has with Andre to have that leverage it's going to be interesting to see what happens and whether she gets healed or gets manipulated um but Josie's not one to be manipulated so I think it would have to be like more of like the icy Josie situation for her to turn on them you're totally right that there hasn't been any indication that Mr. Wilford should know about the connection between Josie and Andre but they did lay a lot of information in this episode particularly about that the reach of Mr. Wilford loyalists in Snowpiercer is much deeper than the people investigating like Roche and, and Till can even guess that information pipeline might be there i don't know how cuz there's not a lot of physical moving between the trains and there's not like other kinds of contact but i don't know i mean it it could still be there so I don't know. I found um, 
you know, Josie, I guess she is more of the leader that Andre should have been, but he kind of messed it up by doing his little, you know, getting with Zara and, and doing all that stuff. And just, I think, you know, when you turn into the leader, you kind of have to, I don't know, he didn't get to do everything that the Tailies wanted him to do, but Josie has remained kind of pure in their eyes. And obviously she has gone through such horrific stuff. You know, she kind of walked the walk and talked the talk. So they value her and then seeing her with Miles, I wonder how Miles is feeling about the Andre thing or if he, you know, he kind of just accepts it because of everything that's gone on. So what do you guys think of that? Like, do you think uh, Miles knows what's going on with Andre, Zara and Josie? Do you think he would really care or, or do you think he's just focused on, hey, I got my mom back and I want her to get better sort of thing? As a mom, I would hope that I probably selfishly would probably think that he's just one is happy about having that. But Miles and Miles is very matured for his age because of what he's had to experience. But there's no doubt that he has an immense love and respect for Josie. And, the, and that's probably was the greatest news for him was learning about her finding out that she's alive. And then on top of that, he is a very loyal Taley. Too. So I think that uh, that even though they're separating again, he's got reinforced um, motivation and excitement. And Josie is not one to fuck around either. So I'm sure that she's she's got her own plans about what she's going to do in Big Alice, even in her position. Like, she's just fucking badass. I feel <laughs> bad for what she's gone through. And I feel bad for that joke that I made <laughs> A few minutes ago, because um, I actually really love Josie. <laughs> I think personally that Miles doesn't have any idea about the the grown up business between the three, but he is tail first. What was he? He he, he went into the engine last season to be a spy. He did spy. He, he did spy stuff. He alerted the tail when it was time to start the fight or whatever it was that he did. And so where Andre has needed to transition to be a man of the people, Josie is still all tail all the time. And so if he does figure out any of this stuff, because sooner or later that baby's going to pop out and the jig will be up. I think that that might equal a rift between him and Andre. I don't know that he'll be super happy that there's a, a train sibling <laughs> yeah. on board. I'm kind of not really feeling this whole like love triangle, like vibes that I've, you know, I, I was kind of following it in, in the beginning, but mostly because I am kind of distracted with, you know, last episode where Josie tells him, well, you thought I was dead. That's why you went with Zara. But I'm like, no girl, he banged her before that. And then he banged you like in my head. So I'm like, all kinds of angry at Andre right now, but I'm also annoyed that I'm distracted by this in the grand scheme of this whole story. So I don't know if I'm like, re you know, just it's probably I don't know. Do you guys think that this love triangle kind of tension thing or guest game game is important? I really am not liking it because it feels like I think this is like the cheapest plot of the whole Snowpiercer and I didn't like it in the first season either so I'm kind of going with it for now but I'm like oh, I hope we resolve this in a way that I don't even know what I, how I want it resolved but I don't like it because <laughs> like him and Zara in this episode um, like you know holding the baby and then they were like flirting and I don't know um, I, I really I, w I wanted to ask you guys how you feel about what their relationship is now because Zara says, oh, we're not together. You can't tell me things like that yet. It felt like they were kind of going back into this couple thing, but they're also fooling themselves, right? Because right now it's calm, but like shit's going to happen. And then I'm sure they're going to bust out with their, like why they broke up in the first place. So I'm not sure where they're going with this um, relationship right now. Besides, it's just like, they're going to be parents to a future kid and maybe they're trying to be friendly, but feel like it's getting weird territory, especially when Josie comes back all healed hopefully <laughs> if she does like that's going to be awkward i'm with you in that it's one thing to decide to co-parent a child that you've made but you don't necessarily want to you know be romantically linked to the other parent anymore i mean i don't have the manual right here in front of me but um <laughs> i think when you do that that doesn't give you the right to give like forehead kisses and wrap your hands around her belly when you're watching a, a singer perform and shit like that I, I i think that stuff is like boyfriend stuff 
Yeah. And not just like father to be stuff. Right. And then in the same like episode, we see him go and like kissing like Josie's hand and, you know, she pulls away. To me, I'm just like, I don't, I just not feeling like any of this is leading to anything significant on our (laughs) storyline. Yeah. It's the weakest storyline in my opinion. I wonder if it would be different if they had made Zara, I mean, they set her up to be a, a selfish type person that decided to forego their marriage so that she could move forward a car into the unofficial like sex worker trade or something in the in the chains where she lived previously and am i remembering that correctly yeah i believe it's something like that something like that but i wonder if they had played her as someone who still did that but was also very likable whereas the czar that we have did that and additionally she's not very likable yeah i mean she almost wanted to kill josie and no one knows about that but we do (laughs) (laughs) we know zara (laughs) Well, that and just, I don't know, just her her demeanor and I don't know, she's not particularly warm. And I, if they had made her someone that was just even 10% more likable, this might be a different thing where, we're, where we don't know who we want Leighton to, to wind up with because that's how TV shows work. Who are they going to wind up with? But in no way do I feel like Zara, <laughs> you know? It's, Unless it's, they're gonna, yeah, do you think they would do something where, um, you know, and this is probably moving into season three so i don't even know but um uh the only way i feel like i would uh, have this is my my uh prediction and also like hope (laughs) is that zara you know and this is going to be nine months from now so who knows where it's going to be but she would have the baby and then something's going to happen and she has to sacrifice herself and then like then josie and uh, andre can raise that baby (laughs) the ultimate cheese that the series needs and it'll be when the sun is rising (laughs) (laughs) that's the the ending of the show (laughs) man on land with miles you know (laughs) (laughs) sorry can you tell that we're just not digging the romantic cheese guys yeah i am not for it (laughs) (laughs) i didn't order this train with cheese (laughs) that's funny i think i agree with all you guys though there's just this i'm not digging this even even my hard-hearted self is, is like this is my least favorite scenes and and it's made more confusing with with that kind of behavior i described earlier like the forehead kiss where that lands in the spectrum of familiar body touching is is a weird place you know it's it's sort of patronizing in some some ways and for sure. Yeah, no, no. I, I agree with you, Paul. I, I felt like it was just so scripted. And I'm having trouble understanding how it's going to tie into um, something significant in the overall plot of the story. Like, why did you make me go through the stress of watching Zara try to kill Josie and then also turn around and save her life and then go back and contemplate and then like zero people know about it? Like, I am curious as to where that's going to lead. And I'm going to be really pissed off if it's all about this like love to her angle dynamic. So you got that, writers, if you're listening the best Snowpiercer podcast in in the universe, then you know, make some changes here. Make <laughs> yeah, everything else is everything else is good, but this love, well, wannabe love triangle is not good, guys. <laughs> some other more minor trades that I came up with included the daughters of powerful people, LJ and Alexandra, becoming frenemies on purpose. <laughs> Their trade was simple. It was just trading parent stories, creating this relationship between these two girls that are, you know, roughly the same age. And they share a a joint, apparently. I feel like it's more of a trade on LJ's part. I feel like just given her character, I feel like the information that Alex gave her, I was like, no, 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 don't say those things. Because I feel like she that's going to be her in to Wilford. And being able to use that against Alex and saying like, hey, she's not really loyal. I'll be loyal to you sort of thing. I don't know if you both. I felt like she was going to go shopping that information to whoever stands the best chance of taking care of her. 
Yes. Yeah. It felt, it, it was like a nice moment, like the one that you're, you're describing. And, but it, it, it was like, not just two girls hanging out, you know, teenagers and smoking a joint. It was like, oh, LJ is going to do something LJ, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I smoke a lot of weed now, but I don't. <laughs> I thought I was totally vibing with the girls. I felt <laughs> I felt like it was such a heartwarming. It was a very cute scene to me. I think that it was a unique opportunity to see what teenagers talk about when there's nobody like hounding them and they're not trying to live up to everybody else's expectations. And then it was heartbreaking hearing them both kind of joke through LJ talking about how her mom looks when right now, like just dead looking out, you know, frozen out there in the middle of nowhere. And then <laughs> Alex, you know, saying what she's wondering and also is happening to her mom, but like internally, like that's really deep stuff. That's some serious trauma that they both gone through it. And I took this whole scene as framing around that. I, I'm not getting vibes right now. Uh, maybe later on, maybe it totally could open up opportunities, but I don't, I didn't feel like this was like an intentional opportunity because there aren't a lot of young people that are their age, um, especially for Alex. One thing about this episode that I felt was different than some of the other episodes or most of the other episodes was, well, this one wasn't so plot heavy. This one was a lot of character kind of stuff. And some of the imagery was very also um, heavy, like the stuff with Miss Audrey and Mr. W. That's how he appears in my notes, Mr. W. So you needed like a balance. In some ways, there was there was like um, a lack of transition between certain scenes that felt a little jumpy. But then I think it's because you had a certain amount of this really heavy stuff that we've been waiting for, we've been anticipating with Miss Audrey. So then you have to tie it back to nice moments between girls. You have you have the last Australians meeting each other. Oh my god, that was my favorite part. You were an yeah. Aussie. <laughs> yeah, that was that was also one of my favorite parts in this episode is I loved it. Just those two and that wasn't really a trade exactly with the goggles, but that was like a trade of of just I guess humanity. Yeah, it it, it was like a you know, we're the last two of our kind and, and, you know, this night's going to be over too soon. And I, and I don't want to lose that connection with someone that I, that I feel a kinship with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. But I love like little, like warm, fuzzy moments like that. Yes. Um, and I do like how, um, they're bringing it like, you know, obviously there's like the, the ode to the movie part of it. And I, like, there was that lost last Australian. And I just like how the threads are now kind of getting a little bit, you know, um, I don't know. It's cool the way they're kind of weaving those um, from like, it's the spirit of the movie, but then like, you know, the last Australian, but now there's another Aussie, you know, like I like that they're taking that spirit, but kind of going in a different direction, but also kind of staying true to that a little bit spirit of it. Well, I've been wondering what they were going to do with the blonde. That's how she appears in my, in my notes. Cause they didn't name her until this week. Her name's Amelia, but Last week, she appeared just as the blonde. The camera focuses on her a little bit. She says something about, why'd you have to bring her in here on my watch? She went referring to bringing Melanie into Big Alice in the bunk area. And then finally, she gets more story this week. So to me, it feels like the blonde's story is going somewhere. They're not just building her up for nothing. What? We have no idea. I can't even guess. You just know that she's close to Alex because their bunks are close. <laughs> you know, that's about it. It's, they're not really that close in age, but you get the sense that maybe they do talk. Maybe they're not friends, but close enough. They eat at the same table in the cafeteria, you know. Going back to that, when it was clear that Mr. Wilford had rigged the drawing to come to the night car, what do you suppose the intent might have been for including Amelia in that? since he did on purpose. I feel like since he wasn't really going to do that anyway, like he, you know, he's only taking people and he got kind of forced to take the crew because Alex mentioned it. I don't know if this is a case where we need to look more into that. Like, I think he just really didn't care who went with him as long as they were like in line and like, this is my night. Don't mess it up, you know? And so just a uh, favor to Alex then. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, because he didn't even pay attention to that. So maybe it's like the one good thing he, you know, he, he let her have, 
I also think though, it's a little bit risky on Alex's part. And maybe this is just me reading too much into it, but also knowing that she does care about Amelia in some way. I don't know if that is a liability, but I mean, they've been together for seven years on that train. So I think he would have already known that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's the only risky thing. Mm. And the fact that Amelia is putting herself with like connection with the last Aussie and like, you know, maybe she'll be the connection that, you know, like Pike is wanting or, you know, that Andre is wanting in that way that if she gets caught in the crossfires, I don't think Wilford's going to think twice about taking her out. And that's going to possibly cause a rift with Alex if that were to play out in that way. Yeah, I definitely don't doubt that Wilford has some kind of strategy, whether they know it or not. I think you're right, Kat, that selecting Amelia was probably more for Alex, but I don't doubt that he based off of whatever her role is in Big Allison, that he doesn't have some kind of plan for them. I don't know if he was expecting them to like mingle, but like they kind of, if they going to gravitate to people in specific areas, I have to probably go back and pay attention to like the specific jobs that each one of them are in and see if there's some kind of connection. But I think I probably, my knee jerk reaction was more just like, let's just, just to boost morale and let them know that I have gifted them this opportunity. Like it was all because of him that they're there. Once he got to the night car, it did seem like, and and, and Miss Audrey made her debut. He seemed pretty laser focused at that point. Amelia could have been doing naked cartwheels around the place and he wouldn't have cared. (laughs) Right. Oh man, but can we talk about Sean being in this episode? Because I just love him. And just a out to the comment that you shared, Paul, with one of the listeners, Jorge, you know, describing him as, uh, what was it, like uh, David Bowie mixed with Trump, mixed with uh, Elon Musk, Musk, and I loved it. So I I went into this episode kind of with that lens, and I totally see it, Jorge. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm here for it. And and because I love David Bowie, uh, I was just like, oh, fuck, now I really like Wilford. Well, the showman aspect of it, not that Trump doesn't have that, but Trump's very awkward at it, whereas Bowie was the king (laughs) at, at that aspect, you know? Yeah, it was fantastic. And so I I really look forward to all of Sean Bean's scenes as Wilford because it's just, I'm just not used to seeing him in this lights. You know, I've got Boromir in my head. I've got um, Eddard Stark in my head. I've got Pretty this stoic very, guy. <laughs> yeah, very stoic, very noble, very honorable. And I've, I have not personally come across a role where he's played like this yet, but I'm also very green. So no judgment, everybody who are big Sean Bean fans, but um, I fucking love him as a villain. Now I only want him to play this kind of villain from now on. Yeah. And I think he's done some villainy roles like early on, but nothing like this. You can tell like he's having so much fun playing it. Like I, like I feel like you can tell that. So it's even, it's more fun watching knowing like he's probably having fun doing this character that is so, I think for the things that people know him for recently, like especially with Ned Stark being such a different character than, than Mr. Wilford, I'm sure he's kind of enjoying that. Maybe people won't see him as Ned Stark anymore. <laughs> is a stark contrast. Yeah. Oh, nice. There are a couple more plot points that are worth talking about while we finish up our podcast here. Mostly I'm thinking about Till and what she's going through in this episode. She's working on her investigation, but she appears to be kind of losing her shit, like kicking that guy, (laughs) I think qualifies. Because he he didn't exactly have it coming right then, did he? I don't think so. It was uh, if we saw that happening right now in our society right now, we would definitely be the first ones throwing our hands up as like police brutality. Right. Considering she was just deputized, so no. But they literally just came out of a war, and there's not exactly like a a big community effort to get people to process the PTSD that they would just went through. And she was fucking savage, like during all of that. So. To have to like come down, wind down, and then like she's finally kind of like leveling out, and now she's just seeing the impact of of that whole event. And I'm not surprised that we're seeing a breakdown. I'm not, and we probably more realistically would be seeing a lot more. So I think I'm really glad that they took time to kind of show us this because she's a very strong character and she does care about doing the right thing. She's clearly very passionate, but uh, PTSD is legit. And literally guys, it's been days, 
maybe like a week. I don't even, what is the timeline here from when they had that massive rage? Well, how long ago, I feel like. Only a couple of weeks. Cause I mean, Melanie only left like three days ago in Showtime. Right. And there's people that take years to get through their PTSD. So we're, you know, that's a lot of, of weight that she's carrying. Do you guys think any bit of that could possibly be that she's really feeling that way, but that she chose to kind of go where, you know, the preacher was? Um, do you think she's like kind of taking a play from Andre's book? Because since she is sort of still investigating that whole thing and trying to infiltrate to see who's on Wilford's side, because I did have like, I think she is going through what you said, Inez, but I, I just couldn't help but think maybe it's just like the TV viewer and me always thinking something else. but like um i feel like is she playing it up a bit just so she can kind of get close to the preacher and kind of find out information because when he gave when they were speaking she kind of threw out some questions where i don't know i think she asked about like uh, uh well i don't know she asked this question i can't remember now but it was kind of like something it felt like a detective question and i was just thinking like is this where you wanted to end up to kind of get close and and be vulnerable so that person could open up to you and say that sort of thing but maybe I'm just reading too much into it and maybe she was just there and all that stuff happened, but I don't know. <laughs> it might be a combination. I mean, I think seeing the pictures of the dead in the tea room where Pastor Logan has his congregation, uh, <laughs> I think that honestly did affect her, but I hadn't thought that she might've been still together with her thoughts enough to continue her investigation through her discussion of survivor's guilt with Logan. And the only reason I say that is that she might be put together is because I think when she was talking to Andre later, she's like, don't worry, I got it. Or or she seemed to be like, like she had gotten this information and was like, you know, telling, like relaying it. And it seemed like if she had been kind of all scattered and, you know, going through all that, she wouldn't have been as able to report back in that way, if, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. But I think she also wants to project confidence yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, because she, she, that's very much her. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, the survivor's guilt is a tough one. It's an easy one for me to overlook in terms of seriousness when it comes to TV shows, having never gone through anything like that myself. Not that I've gone through most of what I see on TV, but that's one that I have, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around in terms of putting my myself in that character's shoes. But I know it's for real, and I know it's a very legit need for a person to sort out post-life-changing event. And that's probably why I thought on, on my initial take that her discussion with Logan was genuine, that it was 100% there for that. But I do like what you're saying, <laughs> that, that there's more to it than that. Right. I think that this that um, she is very sharp and I think that there's always she's will jump on an opportunity if it presents itself to, you know, guide her into the right direction. I don't doubt that, but I, I do kind of get vibes that this was a genuine conversation. And I think it's because of small details that they included in here. Right. Like, you know, Logan saying that we're down to 3000 people. And she said, no, it's 2000, like very specifically under it. And, and in those moments, the, I think that's where my brain started to shift. I think I was also kind of initially thinking like, is she, is she have some kind of angle? But I think after this scene, I feel like maybe the scenes with Logan are meant to be more about like a, a spiritual pause for us. I can see that. And then, yeah. And like you said, she kind of has it together where maybe she saw some, she, she kind of would through those moments, then she would like throw in those detective things. And yeah, cause she is, she, she knows her shit. So <laughs> yeah. But she needs to go visit Audrey so that she's not kicking her constituents or her citizens in the face when she's angry. <laughs> yeah. The, the tea room didn't work out all the demons just yet. Well, guys, I don't have any other points on my list that I came in uh, ready to discuss. Did you guys have any anything that you wanted to discuss? I just wrote like a note about Ruth. If it's not a significant point, but just kind of um, as we've been tracking each week, her on the loyalty meter. So mm -hmm. maybe we can kind of check in and see where she's on the loyalty meter after this week. I felt like my perspective is she is, I feel more definitive and sure that she is trained more train, less Wilford, even if Wilford presented her with a shady kind of offering. Um, so I am now officially changing my answer, <laughs> and putting her on the other side. I don't remember your 
the scale that you had there, Paul. Uh, Ten is Wilford. One is well, it was really for um, Alex, but you could go uh, Wilford or train. Train, yeah. <laughs> Wilford or train. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put her in like a I'm gonna put her in a two for the for the train. She's the, the close train. one to me. What what do you guys think about this? Because I mean, she, we had a pause, you know, about her reaction about lying and and all of Melanie's conversations with Layton. What are your thoughts about all of this? I had the same thought, and I wanted to bring her up too because it, it was very significant that it, this episode made it a point to kind of show that she was a little bit irked that Andre doesn't trust her to the fullest, and 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 I was thinking like, oh no, she's gonna go, you know, like um, Wolford's side, and the fact that she is more offended because he doesn't want to trust her because she, she feels offended because she is a hundred percent loyal to the train. And so I feel like that was a good sign in terms of the loyalty meter and the fact she does want to try to win his loyalty. Cause he, I mean, he's the one in charge now. And I think, you know, if there was another administration, I think she would be, you know, for that person because it's the person that's in charge of the train. And so, yeah, I think it kind of, if there, there was question before, and I think this episode made it where it's clear. And I don't think if it, like you said, I think if um, Wilfred asked her to do something that goes against the train, I don't think Ruth would do it, even though she admires him so much. I think she would be like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not going to do that. It kind of goes against her morals and her code of hospitality. So, um, yeah, I would say I'm at a two as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's the right range for me, too, because she she says it. I mean, she says I'm trained first. And we've mentioned before that she's very motivated toward order and and structure and, and protocol and all that. And they seem to be at, at a tentative, very fragile, new normal, the overused hyphenated word of the year. And I think she's good with that. But I still think it would be a powerful moment if Mr. Wilford called on her to do something anti-Snowpiercer or anti-train. I don't think it would be just like a, nope, not me. I think I think it would give her a, a second for her to think, you know, this person that I admire so much is asking me to do this. I'm sure there's some reflexes in there that are like, I spent so long admiring him that I know that he wouldn't want something bad to happen. So it must be okay. I, I think that there would still be that old reflex in there to want to do it. And it, and it won't just be this instant thing. I, at least I don't think so. Well, did you see the side eye um, that she was giving Audrey when Audrey was taking Wilfred into, you know, the room and she was giving like, like, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of look it was, like whether it was like, like if she wanted to be the one doing that or or what, but it was like curiosity or something. But they did show like in the side view, like they didn't have to show her in that shot so like the fact that she was kind of looking like eyes wide open like um i don't know maybe it was just the curiosity um of it but i feel like she really does want to get like an audience with him or at least like talk to him or um know that he knows her and you know um, that she's doing a good job or something like that i i kind of interpreted that maybe she knows the kind of stuff of uh, audrey's past because i don't i'm assuming that some of these people in the og crew know what they've kind of been through with each other uh, or know what other people have kind of been through especially since them and snowpiercer have been so together and i know she was really good friends with melanie maybe she doesn't know specifically but maybe she knows audrey well enough that sh that um yeah. Uh, or you know what? Maybe not because no, she didn't right. even know that she wasn't on the train. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I think you're on you're onto it, though, because she does tell Andre she makes a joke like she says something in like the British slang of basically like, oh, she's going to they're going to go get it in. He like, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, and then he's like, well, it's up to them. They're adults. They have 40 minutes. <laughs> so I think she did. Maybe she thought like, oh, you're cheapening Wilfred or something, you know, because like that's the ploy that you're going to try to get to him. Maybe, so maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, maybe that's what it is. And, and so of her wanting to be in that position or something like that well this was like i mentioned before um a dense episode that in some spots felt like it, the transitions were very abrupt because they were showing us so much of emotional stuff as opposed to very plot driven stuff but that doesn't make it bad that just makes it different than some of the others and in a way i think that that it, that if they lean on this kind of show this kind of episode moving forward i think it would probably be a, a pretty good change for this 
show. Not that they shouldn't, you know, have the kinds of episodes where where they have massacres and stuff like that <laughs> that they had in the first episode. We need that, of course, obviously. But I think this one, with the questions raised by the stuff between Audrey and Wilford, and going into an area that none of us really saw coming in terms of the S&M stuff and all that, I think that just broadens what this show can be about and what they're willing to show us and, and do for us. Um, so I think they should lean into that. I love it. All right. Well, we will catch you uh, listeners again next week. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.